We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network, brought to you, as always, by the Legends Apparel Group at Legends.com. I am Evan Lazar, joined, as always, by Alex Barth of 98.5. And Alex, the title of today's show, I hope it doesn't rub people the wrong way, but I know people in Boston are, was the loss uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night a moral victory, meaning we saw the offense make progress. We saw the defense execute a game plan extremely well and shut down Tampa Bay's offense for the most part. Can the Patriots build off of this loss and have this lead to good things at the end of the day, even though they lost this game? Yeah. I mean, I've been saying this since basically since they cut Cam Newton that this whole year is essentially about progress, progress for Mac Jones, progress for all the pieces. I get if you hate the term moral victory, that's fine. Right. Uh, But again, this, it had felt like through the first three games, and I think we talked about this last week, it felt like through the first three games, they were backsliding. Like I thought the the game against the Dolphins was their best performance. I thought the game against the Saints was their worst performance. So yeah, it was refreshing. And it, it sort of felt like in some ways that Saints game felt like not to the same extent, but in some ways, it, it it felt like that Niners game last year where things sort of just totally got away from them, right? And the season went completely off the rails. So I think to see a sense of progress here to bounce back, especially against that opponent, is is very encouraging. And ultimately, I'll remind everybody of this again. I know people don't want to hear it, but this is a four-year window they're working with right now. This is You're trying to get one Super Bowl in this four-year window. doesn't have to be this year. probably won't be this year. So to see them play the way they did against the defending Super Bowl champions and specifically for Mac Jones to play the way he did when that game plan was thrust into his lap. They only ran the ball eight times. Uh, You you can't help but be encouraged and feel like, you know, once they get a little more experience under their belt, once the chemistry is there, they'll be able to go toe to toe with the better teams in the league. Yeah. And I think what you just said about how it felt and especially for Mac and it's not all Mac's fault. Obviously a lot of it was the protection up front, integrating these new weapons, all those types of things. It felt like his best performance was in week one against Miami. And then he was on a downward trajectory in weeks two and three, and you weren't seeing development. You weren't seeing progress on that side of the football, not just from Mac, but from everybody. And then this week against Tampa Bay, you finally see some progress offensively from both Mac, the playmakers, the O-line, and I would also point to Josh McDaniels and say, we have come on this show every single week pretty much for the first three weeks of the season and had about a 20-minute conversation about what the heck Josh McDaniels is doing with the Patriots offense. Now, throwing the football 45 times, dropping back to pass 45 times, and only running it eight times is not going to be a winning formula for the Patriots every single week. They're not going to do that every week. They're going to get into matchups where they're going to want to run the football more than they pass it, and that's totally fine. But the stylistic elements of their passing game, and this is what I wrote wrote about in my film review this week, the quick, short, intermediate shotgun spread type of stuff that we saw on Sunday night against Tampa Bay – is how this offense has to live the rest of the year in the passing game. This is how they should look. They should be a team that goes three wide. They should be a team that spreads the field. They should be a team that's predicated on short and intermediate throws. And now my focus has turned away from the air yards conversation, from the deep throw conversation to dominating in that area right dominating in that style of play and that's going to come over time and that's something that mac jones needs to develop as well as the playmakers but overall the way that i look at this formula 
for the Patriots is not that far of a departure from how they played in that 2011 season with Gronk and Hernandez all the way back then. And when you look at that campaign with those two guys, with Wes Welker, obviously a much more explosive offense, mainly because of Gronk, right? They're a more explosive offense than what they are now. But Tom Brady, looking at air yards, 8.4 air yards per attempt in that 2011 season. Mac Jones is at 7.8 right now. So he could come up a little bit more to get onto that Brady trajectory. But the point is, that style of play, a team that is more predicated on stretching the defense out horizontally, winning within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage, and then hitting on those plays in rhythm to create yak opportunities and pick up yards after the catch, that's the way this Patriots offense is going to have to play. They're not going to be a deep-throwing offense, and it's not just because of Mac Jones. It's because of their offensive line issues. It's because Nelson Aguilar is the only deep threat that they have on the team right now. And the good news is. If you're a Patriots fan, they've won like this before. It's not like they haven't won like this before. And if they're going to have issues running the football, then throwing the quick short passing game in there as an extension of your running game and getting five or six yards per attempt on first down in the passing game, that's your running game. That, that's how you can replace the running game. And then I also think that they can get into some of the running stuff out of spread formations and not allow the defense to pack the box. Because what's happening against the running game under center is that the defenses are putting seven, eight guys in the box. Mac Jones isn't a threat to run the ball himself. So it's creating issues with blocking that they're not able to pick up everybody. They're playing. They don't have the numbers when they go to that style of offense. So if you can get into a sub package running game and the Patriots are great at that in 11 with Danny Woodhead and, and some of their other backs spreading the field out, getting six guys in the box and then running it that way with a Damian Harris with a JJ Taylor, Mondre Stevenson, whoever you want to put in the game, Brandon Bolden, hopefully not. Hopefully it's one of the younger guys or, or Harris, but overall that's going to be where they're going to be at the, the downside of that is that they're probably going to be an offense that lacks explosive plays through the air. They're not going to be an offense that's going to be hitting on a lot of those 20 plus yard passing plays. So their execution on the short and intermediate stuff is going to have to be stellar for them to be a good offense. They're going to have to be really, really good, not only with their reads and their plays by the receivers, but also a, just in general being very, very fundamentally sound and not turning the football over, not killing yourself with penalties. They are going to have to be a clean, efficient operation to operate like that because they're not going to be able to make it all back up in one 60-yard bomb. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, I mean, that's – and we've talked about this. That's kind of what's so frustrating about everything that's going on is a lot of it is preventable. It's not a lack of talent. It's, it's the fumbles. It's the penalties. It's all of that. It's the poor pass blocking, which came as a surprise. So – they can, they can round themselves out again. You know, they're never going to be what the chiefs are throwing the ball down the field each and every play, right. but they can, they can win like this. They can absolutely win like this offensively. Yeah. They just got to stop shooting themselves in the foot. A lot of teams are winning like this. That's the other thing that I think is getting, Oh my God. If only somebody called that. I, that's a, well, if you only somebody to, who was berated and called an oh, idiot. Please. Oh, please. Do rejected not, that do not two years ago. You wanted them to run the ball 350 times this year, and that's not going to happen. I said net neutral, sustainable, controlled offense. That's based that that's exactly what you just described. I don't know. The running I, game's usually more of a part of it. I'll give you that. The running game's usually more of a part of it than it's been. But everybody who wanted that, you know, everybody, you have to be the you have to be the 2019 Chiefs. You have to be the 2007 right. Patriots. That's the fair. modern era of the NFL. Your quarterback's got to throw for 350 yards a game. It's over. It's over. No, I told no, you it's over. No, 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 no. I, I disagree. You went too far. They the the argument that you're making is right. And that is that you do not need to be an offense that pushes the ball down the field every single play to be a successful offense in 2021. That's hogwash. And I put this out there earlier, uh, the air yards per attempt ma- metric or a dot as, as the nerds like to call it. If you look at Mac Jones's a dot right now, I mentioned it earlier. It's at 7.8 yards per attempt. Here's a couple of other quarterbacks that are right in that, range with Mac Jones, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow. Four of those quarterbacks or three of those quarterbacks I just mentioned, I should say Kyler, Herbert, and Dak are in MVP conversations for a lot of people 
Those are Dak is the favorite right now on a lot of wagering sites to win MVP this season, and he's at 6.8 air yards per attempt. This notion that air yards equals good is just ridiculous. Does air yards necessarily mean – does it mean that maybe those quarterbacks that are pushing the ball down the field are trying to make harder throws than the quarterbacks that are throwing short? I would say yes. Those throws are are typically harder throws to make. But just because it's harder doesn't mean it's better. And that, I think, is something that's getting really lost in the national conversation and even the local conversation at times with Mac Jones is that we are getting so caught up in air yards and how many throws of 20-plus yards he's hit. He's only hit four the entire year, which is second to last among starting quarterbacks in the league. He hasn't hit a lot of them, but we're so caught up in that and we've lost sight of the fact that this team for years in the past – has made Super Bowls, won Super Bowls with an offense that isn't leading the league in air yards. So throw the air yard stat out because I got caught up in it after week two. I felt like Mac Jones left some plays down the field on the on the tape against the Jets. But then when you go ahead, and, and people have done studies on this, and, and I've really looked into them over the last couple of weeks, when you look at who leads the league in air yards every single year and correlate that to passing game success, there's zero correlation. The guys that have good air yards metrics are not necessarily guaranteed to be the best quarterback. So that, that to me is really where we're getting too caught up in now execution of what they're good at and the things that they're giving Mac Jones. Cause I, I feel like McDaniels is starting to catch on. I, I do feel like he's starting to figure it out a little bit. Sunday night was a really good step in the right direction for Josh McDaniels. He finally recognized the type of passing offense that they have to run with Mac Jones, and they got into a lot of those things and were able to figure it out. So I think that that's where we're at right now. On the defensive side of the football, just quickly, a great game plan by Bill Belichick, one of his best in the last couple of years. I think over the last two seasons, he's had two awesome game plans. One of them was against Lamar Jackson last year with Baltimore using the DBs as those forced defenders on the outside to make sure that Lamar couldn't turn the corner. Great game plan against the Ravens and they won that game. Then the other one was on Sunday night against Tom Brady. That was a masterclass of throwing different looks at Brady, different pressures, simulated pressure, showing that they're going to bring a blitz and then backing off and using those defenders off the line of scrimmage to drop underneath those routes in the middle of the field. All these types of things that you see that uh, they threw at Tom Brady, the kitchen sink, and the players went out there and really executed it extremely well. So that's, that's really what I come away with from this game is that McDaniels, is starting to figure out Mac and starting to figure out their personnel and get them into the right plays. And Belichick can still game plan his ass off when he needs to. Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot about how coaching was an issue through the first three weeks. I wouldn't say coaching was a, you know, outside of one decision at the end, actually. Uh, I, I would say coaching really wasn't an issue for them on, on Sunday. And that's obviously a big decision at the end. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but I, uh, yeah, that felt and and remember my theory was that okay, they're treating September like a preseason, which they tend to do. Uh, it felt like preseason's over. Here we go. I think that is more the team we're going to see here down the stretch. Yeah, I, I agree. And I asked McDaniels about that today. I also asked him my RPO question, and I, I hope that he was just playing it close to the vest and he was got a little smirk there. He wasn't being sincere. Uh, God, if if he's being sincere and he's gonna say that they're not gonna they're not really going to uh, expand that package anymore, then then that's disappointing because that's something I that I think they can really that, use. He didn't say that. He said that they don't major in it, but they have an element of it. That's not okay. saying they won't expand it. That's just saying that it's okay. never going to well, be the main thing they do, which is probably I, fair. I wanted to, to throw some bouquets at Josh McDaniels this week because I thought that his play calling and his game plan against the Bucks was really, really good. The one uh, Black Rose I, I want to throw at Josh McDaniels right now major in it figure it out right figure it out call nick saban up call billy o'brien up they're both down there at alabama right now running the same exact offense call those guys up and figure it out because you're not going to be able to run the football this year from under center with the way that the offensive line is blocking right now and the fact that mac jones has zero threat with his legs it's just the numbers are just not in their favor 
So if they can't be a dominant run blocking team with their offensive line, it's going to be really difficult to run the football. The way they're going to run the football is out of spread formations. And the best way to run the football out of spread formations is with RPOs, because then you can have the numbers back. You can force the defense to play both pass and run, and you can really be effective that way. And we know how good Mac Jones is at the RPOs based off of his tape at Alabama. So it fits the personnel. It fits the quarterback. It's the best way that they're going to run the football this year. Major in it, Josh McDaniels. Figure it out. Whether that's this year, maybe it's not. Maybe they don't have the time right now to to really go into a deep study of an RPO package and things like that. But Saban's in the SEC down in college football, Alex. He doesn't care if the Patriots run the RPO package up in the NFL. What does he care? It's not like it's going up against him. So call well, Saban and have him hand you the freaking RPO package, Josh McDaniels. It's not that big of a deal. If any, if anything, it helps because the better both actually both the better both Mac Jones and Damian Harris look like the better his players play in the NFL, not that Nick Saban needs any help recruiting, but it helps him recruit. So if yeah. anything, it'll help him. All right. Let's talk about Mac Jones here in a second. But first off, Alex, when I say the name Willie McGinnis, what comes to mind? Oh, I don't have one ready. You got to be prepared. Just, I know. I uh, Being awesome. I don't know. I, I This one's on me. I'll take the all this week. He was really good, though. <laughs> what about legend? We want to go that with works. legend, defense, yeah. champion. Well, add that to that list, entrepreneur, because number 55 is one of several athletes who are investors and owners in the athletic apparel brand Legends. That's right. Willie, along with guys like Steve Nash, Baker Mayfield, Matt Barnes, former Celtic Marcus Morris Sr., and even entertainment icon Quavo are just a few of the names building the Legends into the hottest apparel brand in the market. Visit Legends brand, or Legends.com excuse me, today to show the latest trends in athletic apparel from shorts, tees, hoodies, and more, and save 20% when you use our code PATS20. It's right there at the bottom of the screen, PATS20. That's Legends.com and promo code PATS20. All right, let's talk about Mac Jones. I want to get into some of the uh, decision-making on fourth down here, too, before we move over to some of the defensive stuff. But what I saw out of Mac was really promising in the short and intermediate areas of the field. He dominated in those two areas, and he has really all year long. But there were some instances, and I'm not, I don't want to get caught up anymore in the, in the deep throws. It's not about that, right? It's about him mastering these reads on the short and the intermediate stuff. But overall, you have to be very, very optimistic that Mac Jones was able to punch back against the GOAT and not wither in the moment, right? It wasn't too big for him to be on Sunday night football against Tom Brady and be able to go out there and compete and nearly pull off the upset. Yeah, yeah, no, I again, it's all about progress this year. It's all about moving forward, and that was, I said at the top of the show, I'll say it again. The game plan was thrust into his lap. This this was on him. It was sink or swim with him. Right. And he, he got them right there. He got them right there, and I, I would have liked to see him get the chance on third down. Or on fourth down, sorry, fourth and three. I would have liked to see him get the chance. That's how well I thought he played. And and I obviously I think Nick Folk's a good player. I really do. I thought I I, I thought Mac earned the chance to, to to ride or die in that in that moment. Yeah, and the killer was is that the play before, and I put it out there on Twitter, the third down play, Jacoby Myers is wide open and probably picks up 15 yards if the ball doesn't get batted right. down at the line of scrimmage. So that was uh, that little grub concept. They ran it a couple of times because the Bucks were having all sorts of trouble with their assignments coming out of stacks and bunches. And they ran it a few times, and they were able to get some big plays on it, and maybe they just felt like they couldn't go to the well again. Right. They that was their third that was their short yardage play and through the air. That was their third and three play. And I think they kind of felt like they used it too many times to go back to it. And they didn't really have another play that they felt a hundred percent good about. And Nick Folk has obviously been money for them as well. And we talked to Folk after the game and he said, I told them fifty-eight and in from the uh in the closed end of the stadium right as long as i wasn't going towards the lighthouse i felt good basically 56 58 yards so they were right on it they were right, right. on that edge and, and that's a really tough decision the math is goes both ways espn stats and info has put out a couple of different numbers next gen stats has put out a number ben baldwin's uh, model has put out a bunch of numbers and most of them favor going for it but it's it's very, very close to a toss-up. It's not like one way is favoring it very much over the other. 
I don't care about the numbers. Even if he hits that kick, Tom Brady with 44 seconds and two timeouts. Not worried about it. I hate that light work. I hate it. Now you're now you're now you're annoying me. Now you're annoying me. The defense had played great all game long. You have no idea if Tom Brady would have marched them down the field. None. You know, people get really caught up in the 50 game winning drives for Brady. Do you know how many game winning drives Brady has failed on? Go go look at that number. Go look up at that number because Brady is – so this is the same thing with like – it's very, very similar to basketball players on game-winning shots in the closing seconds. Everybody thinks that Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan were perfect in those types of situations, right? They never missed. They give them the ball, t- 10 seconds left, tie game, Kobe, Matt, uh, Michael, uh, MJ, all these greats, right, were automatic in those situations. Most of those guys make like 35 to 35%, 35 to 40% of those shots, if that, right? Tom Brady, 50 game winning drives in his career. You're not sure, right? You really aren't sure if he's going to go down the field. I think it's something like he has converted something around 30 to 32% of those drives his entire career. He has a lot that he didn't but people don't remember those. And and I'm not trying to shit on Tom Brady. He's Tom Brady. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm just saying that this loser's mentality that, oh, Brady would have just taken it right back down the field and kicked the field goal and beat you anyway. You don't know that. You just don't. So first of all, that number's flawed because the game-winning drive statistic is misleading. You can, if if you're down two points and – the, at the end of the third quarter, the quarter flips to the fourth quarter. You already have the ball to five. You kick a field goal. That's technically a game-winning drive. So yeah. the, that the whole better, stat's a mess. The better stat is is probably fourth quarter comebacks. Than no, yeah, but that's, again, that's the same thing. Fourth quarter comebacks is the same. If you take the lead in the fourth quarter by any means, it counts towards that. It's a misleading statistic. And I don't have the number for what you're talking about for the right one, but the right statistic is is – leads taken inside two minutes to go where the drive started inside two minutes to go. Yeah. That's and, the real number you want and but Brady, I also, in that situation is close to 70%. I also anyway. really want, and, and Don brings up a good point in the chat. Ryan Suckup missed a 36 yard field goal going in that direction towards the open end of the stadium by the lighthouse earlier in the game. And that's the way the Bucks would have been driving in the game in a pouring rainstorm. You have no idea if he's going to make that kick. You just don't. And you just, don't know if Brady's even going to get him in that position. So I just I, I don't think the full kick is a high percentage kick. I don't. I I would have I would have tried to go for it there. I, I would have. I think you're playing well enough. And I saw somebody in the chat say the Patriots were two and nine on third down, which is true. But the context of that number is they only had two third downs where they needed less than five yards, and they converted both of those. Their third down issues weren't about third down. Their third down issues, as they've been for a good amount this season, were about first and second down. So they were picking up those short yardage to go situations. They seemed to have the Bucks number on that. I would have gone for it. I, I, it's not egregious, you know. It's not fourth and two against the Colts. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the better move there was to go for it. Just it, the other thing is, and, and maybe this is the college football fan in me. I think as the underdog in that game to get to that point, to me, it was more of a decision where you're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. So, so I had a bigger issue with the punt before halftime for that. That's reason. and that's fair. That's fair for that reason. And and this is where I, I the the whole you don't know if Brady's going to actually go down the field and kick the game winning field goal after you get kicked the go ahead field goal. That is just. Uh, in a vacuum me venting about the fact that everybody just thinks that Brady is a hundred percent of the time going to lead that drive. Right. That that's not about the decision per se. The decision to me on fourth and three goes back to the decision on fourth and two earlier on in the game, where if you're going to play Tom Brady and you're going to beat Tom Brady, you have to go for it in one of those two instances. You can't play the whole game conservatively. And that one really bugged me more, I would say, than kicking it at the end. Because the one before the half, that was a clear-cut go-for-it situation. Whether you're just in the moment, not using your math, the math or the nerds, or just using logic, both support going for it in that scenario. And they played field position, and I believe Brady drove him down the field for a field goal, anyways. Didn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it, it really the whole situation backfired completely. So what? What I that one really bugged me as well. But this follows a trend 
with Bel- with Bill Belichick over really since the start of 2018, I, I would say, of uh, being one of the most conservative fourth down decision makers in the entire NFL. It, it, it's really it's really something that's been going on for years that he's very much caught up in, and maybe it's because he's got a great punter in Jake Bailey that he knows is going to pin them deep. Maybe it's because he has more trust in his defense than in his offense right now. But over the last three or four years, he's been one of the most conservative play callers or decision makers, I should say on fourth down. And that has definitely, it might've cost them in a few situations. It certainly felt like it might've on Sunday night against Tampa. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, I wonder. It's interesting. I haven't really thought about the link between them getting Jake Bailey and being more conservative on fourth down. Yeah, I, I mean, he, I, he would I, never answer the question. But the timing lines up. The timing does. lines up. For, uh, that's a really good point. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, I just, you know, I also think that the Bucks offense and and yeah, Brady got a little greedy at the end there, targeting Antonio Brown. But I, I do think the Bucks offense was starting to figure out what the Patriots were doing. And yeah. was starting to get their rhythm a little bit. I and, and if you remember, what was my big talking point last week? My big talking point was you need to hold Tampa to nine. Oh, here we go. Drives. Here, here we need, go. The no, but you need to that. I said that here. I said on a sports hub. I said it everywhere. You need to hold Tampa to nine or fewer drives. Tampa kicked the game winning field goal on their 10th drive of the game. Well, if Jacoby which, Myers, which to your guys- point, to your point, it's their ninth drive of the game if they go for it and then fourth down and convert it. Yeah. If they go for it, uh, if they get the third down play to Jacoby Myers, that ball goes through instead of getting batted down at the line of scrimmage, I believe it was Levante David or Devin white who got their hand on that pass. If that ball goes through. They got 15 yards, 12, 15 yards to Jacoby Myers on third down. They probably run out the clock themselves and kick the field goal with three seconds left. Right. Right. So it, it really is a, a, a big bummer. Um, that that play on third down didn't go through. Well, let's let's break down some tape. I want to break down some tape and uh, bring up this play. First play here that I want to discuss is this Mac Jones throw to Kendrick Bourne. I'm sure everybody knows the play once we start rolling it a little bit, but there's a couple of different elements of it that I want to discuss. Uh, first and foremost, let's talk about Mac on this play and sort of the reads and everything like that and and the good job that he does to manipulate the coverage. So the Bucks are going to send this pressure from the second level. And uh, Joe, uh, uh, Tyrone here, Alex, who we talked about the other day over text, just kind of dominated this game. Honestly, uh, the Patriots couldn't block him. But in this instance, he's going to drop into coverage. And they're going to release the tight end over here into the flat. That's Johnny Smith after a little chip and release. Kendrick Bourne's going to run this backside dig over here. And really, Mac knows that the linebacker covering the flat is going to widen to cover the flat. So Tyrone is the guy that they need to get out of the passing lane, right? He's the player that they need to manipulate to pull him out of the dig window. He knows he's going to Kendrick Bourne the entire play. Even before the ball is snapped, he knows that that's where he's going with the football. So the first thing that he does is as we roll it, you're going to see in his drop, he's staring down the left side of the field, right? He's staring down these two receivers over here. And that's going to get uh, Tyrone here to widen and, and kind of fade that way or, or lean that way, which is going to open up this passing window. So check number one or box number one checked coverage manipulation, right? Getting this guy out of the passing lane. You see how he kind of goes over here, right? Now he's going this way because that's where Mac Jones is looking initially. So step number one is getting out the guys, uh, the two linebackers out of this passing lane and opening up the window for Kendrick Bourne. Step number two is what he does in the pocket, which is he's going to get a free runner at him. Devin White, again, comes in unblocked. Uh, Damian Harris blows his blitz pickup and comes in unblocked, and he's going to evade him in the pocket. So there comes the sidestep in the pocket, keep the eyes down the field, move the coverage, and he's just going to sidestep it and throw this dig route, and that's beautiful, right? That, that's what we're looking for from Mac Jones consistently. You see it from the end zone angle. You really see how his, his eyes – manipulate the coverage here and how he kind of opens up to the left side initially and that's going to move the linebacker out now here comes the rush and you see that passing lane here right you see these two linebackers and you see the lane here to Kendrick Bourne and he's able to throw it and fit it in there for a good completion now Damian Harris here um Patriots having all sorts of trouble picking up blitzes out so they're running backs uh, James White not being there has been really massive for them in this area they actually picked this up on the offensive line. 
David Andrews does a or in uh, Shaq Mason do a really nice job here. Andrews sees the blitz coming. He picks up uh, which I can't remember which one's forty five and which one's fifty four. I think it's Levante David. Uh, he picks up uh, forty five, and Shaq Mason does an awesome job of coming off this block over here to pick up the other blitzer. And the line has it picked up. I, Damian Harris is just, I don't know where he's going, right? I mean, I just don't know where he's going. I think he thinks that uh, this linebacker is not going to twist, and he thinks he's just going to come right through the A-gap, and so that's where he's headed. But obviously, that causes this to happen. Nice job by Mac Jones evading the pocket and being able to make this throw down the field. So that that's where, before we move over to the other play, Alex, that, that's where we need to see this Patriots offense live, right? I mean, that's... That's what we want to see consistently out of this Patzo is being able to hit those types of plays. I think I'm freezing up the uh, the restream here. Uh, being able to see those types of plays happen is where they need to live, short intermediate throws and Mac attacking the middle of the field. When you saw that, you had to be pleased with, with those types of plays being called and run successfully. And by the way, can, like Kendrick Bourne's the hot hand right now. Yeah. Kendrick Bourne's been their best receiver. I, I would – he – he was involved. They all got, got called back for penalties in week one, but I just, I'd like to see him get a little more involved. It seems like the offense is at its best when one there and hurry up. And, and he's a big part of that. So I, you know, keep feeding him the ball. I, th- I think he's the way to go right now. Yeah. So that's, that was a good throw. That was a good quarterback play in general, right. From Matt Jones being able to right. manipulate the coverage, avoid the pressure in the pocket, make the throw down the field. And yeah, I, I agree with the chat. Kendrick Bourne might be their best wide receiver right now on the field. So the next thing that I want to highlight here, Alex, how long have we been just absolutely clamoring for the Patriots to do what they do here, which is start in a run formation single back under center, read the defensive structure pre-snap and then audible into empty. We've been calling for this all year long on this show for them to do things like this. And what Max sees here is great. He sees that the defense is in single high. They got this safety up top here and he's got a run play called right now. So he says, okay, I got single high. I'm going to check this into a pass play. So what do they say? They say Jordan, Jordan, and he does a little free throw thing you're going to see in a second. And that means that they are audibling in to Haas Y Juke or Haas Z Juke in this case, right? So there's the little free throw. Jordan, Jordan, now we're in empty. Awesome, right? We have single high, empty formation. This is exactly how we want to attack the defense. But these are the little things that Mac is going to have to really master and pick up on for this team to get to where they need to get to offensively. So you have the single high post safety against that type of coverage, unless it's man, then maybe you can try to work the option route inside with number three, but 99% of the time when you get single high coverage, you're working the outside combination here, right? The hitch and the seam, because if it's cover three, then they can't cover over the top of both of those routes, right? So somebody's going to be open And in this case, it's going to be Nelson Aguilar. But when you get this coverage, the reason why you don't work the juke route, number three inside Jacoby Myers, is because you have these two linebackers dropping into zone over the middle, and they're inside outing the route, right? He's basically double teamed on this play. So that's why you want to get outside to this read, and Mac just doesn't get out there. So he decides to work the juke route for some reason, even though the right read here is to work hitch seam. So what the defense going to end up doing, and remember, you have seam route here by Nelson Aguilar and the hitch here on the outside by Damian Harris. The defense going to end up playing cover three. So this corner at the top of the screen is going to bail. And the other thing that you can look at, too, based off of the defensive lineman pre-snap to kind of get an indicator that this is going to be cover three, is look at the corners. This is Sherman here at the bottom of the screen, the top of the screen. See how they're pointed towards the quarterback right now, that's a clear zone indicator. If they're going to be man-to-man coverage, they're going to be squared up on the line of scrimmage. When you're playing zone, they play a little bit open and they tilt their uh, their eyes towards the quarterback so that they, they can read the QB. So everything pointing from the single high to the pointed uh, inside by the corners, everything in this place is screaming cover three. And on top of that, they're running Hossie Juke, which is – day one install type of stuff. We saw them out at mini camp back in uh, in June working the, this route combination. So this is something that Mac's been doing for a long time with the Patriots already. So what's going to end up happening is the defense 
is going to fall into this cover three shell. And this slot defender here is going to drop into the flat, into his flat responsibility. And then this corner is going to bail and take the deep third. And then you have the deep third in the middle of the field. So if he stays on the outside route combination, which is where he should be at, watch how open Nelson Aguilar gets here. There he is right here. There's the play. And you see this corner at the top of the screen once again, that slot defender, see how he widens into the flat? That's what's opening up this route. And this this is basically splitting these two defenders here up the middle here. And I, I hate like predicting how much yak a guy might get if, if they make a throw and they actually make this happen. But Alex, how, does, does Nelson Aguilar have a chance to house this if he hits him in stride? Like th- these are the types of plays that you look at and you watch where he goes with his eyes. He ends up getting to this number three, Jacoby Myers. And like I said at the beginning, Myers has got two guys on him. He's bracketed inside out. Aguilar is the open receiver. And these are the pre-snap reads and just the the coverage indicators that Mac, if they're going to run this offense this way, and they're going to be a short and intermediate passing attack predicated on yards after the catch, these are the types of reads that Mac Jones is going to have to make for this Patriots offense to succeed. And I'm sure that when they got into the film room, him and Josh McDaniels were, were throwing the tablets on the ground, right. And just driving themselves crazy over missing that play. So those are the couple of plays I wanted to highlight from Mac. I think he's done great in the intermediate and short areas of the field, but that throw right there on Haas is one that he had to have. And that will be something that he'll definitely uh, learn from moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, again, it goes back to the growing pains we talked about, or I talked about at the beginning of the year, right? It's just, he'll figure this stuff out. You like to think he'll figure this stuff out, but it it's it's kind of trial and error at this point for any rookie quarterback. Same for Justin Fields, same for Trey Lance, same for you know, Trevor Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson are just in absolutely horrible situations. So that might be different. Right. Uh, but for most rookie quarterbacks in a somewhat confident situation, it, it, it at a certain point, it is just kind of trial and error. It's learning as you go. Okay, before I move over to the defensive side of the football, uh, really quickly here, Alex, do the Patriots have a running game problem? It certainly feels that way. Obviously, you're not going to run for a ton of yards against Tampa Bay anyways, but gaining negative yards on the ground should never be something that happens, right? It hardly ever does happen. So the fact that they were so inept as a running game. Now, Belichick said it after the game and said, we have good backs. Right. We have good backs, but we're not getting those guys going. So it sounded to me like at least coming right off the field post game that Belichick felt like it's more of a blocking issue than the guys carrying the football. But how how do you feel about this backfield situation right now? Because it's pretty dire. Both the run game and the blitz pickup have been a big problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's tough. That that game was was the extreme. I'm not saying they don't have a, an issue with their running game. They do. Uh, against that defense, anybody's going to struggle to run the ball. So I'm not going to look at this yeah, game. No, and, and it was say, good that they got out of it, right? It was good that they recognized right. it, yes. Right. So I you know, I would say you look at this game, and again, like Nelson Aguilar is their leading rusher on what was really a pass that was thrown backwards. Like he had one carry, carry, air quotes, for four yards. Yeah. Mac was, you know, I'm not going to look at that and say that's what they are because the, the Tampa front's that good. But yeah, I mean, they do have running issues, I think, Part of it is a big part of it is the offensive line. I think we need to start talking about moving Michael and Wenu back out to right tackle because he looks lost at guard right now. He kind of does. And aside from the other issues it would solve, I think he's just a better player when he's out there. So, and, and we did see, I mean, they pulled him from that game. They pulled him from that game. They put Ted Karras in um, at that point, they'd kind of given up on the run. So it, it's hard to judge, but that's something to watch going forward. I do think some of it is the personnel. I think Damian Harris, a really good running back. Yeah. I think he's a great place to start. But they're down their second and third backs from last year and James White and Sony Michelle. I, I think there's legitimate you, – you can legitimately kind of be wary of Ramondre Stevenson and J.J. Taylor. And then Brandon Bolden is what he is. I actually thought he had a decent game, but he kind of gave you what he's going to give you. He's right. not going to replace James White. He's not going to re- – so I, I think they need to bring in another back whether it's TJ Yeldon, whether it's Todd Gurley, whether it's Duke Johnson, like that kind of back. Is Duke Johnson a free agent? Duke Johnson, let me double check. He was as of last week. If Duke Johnson's still a free agent, I don't know why he isn't already here. Duke Johnson is in fact a free agent, yeah. I don't know why that guy's Um, not already here. And I'll give you another one too. He's James James White reincarnated, Duke Johnson. 
we'll give you another one, Lamar Miller, who yeah. was here last year, remember, in camp. So has some basic knowledge of what they want to do. I just I, – I don't think they have the person I, – I, again, I really like Damian Harris. I, I'm not comfortable giving him 35 touches a game. I think any back outside of Derrick Henry in the modern NFL, it's not worth giving that guy 35 touches a game. They're going to get worn down. So I, I think even if Taylor comes back or Stevenson comes back, and I don't know – I still think they're back short. So I, I think bringing in somebody else, because that can be an advantage. If you always have a fresh running back on the field that can help you, the offensive line obviously has to get sorted out. But I think bringing in another running back, especially a guy who can pass block and contribute in the, in the, in the, in the passing game, again, TJ Yeldon, Todd Gurley, Duke Johnson, I think that kind of guy could do wonders for this offense right now. I agree with all the points that you just made. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the guys that are available and stuff like that. So I just want to get into some of the schematic things that well, are going so on. One more too. Supposedly yeah. Marlon Max available for trade. That was reported that would, last week. Yeah. That would be a great one as well. Uh, you, you would hope that call has been made. Yeah. Yeah. So from a personal standpoint, I agree with you hundred percent. If they're not going to play Ramondre Stevenson and JJ Taylor, cause they can't be trusted. then they really are short in the backfield now without James white. So whether it's a trade call, whether it's a free agent, whether they try to trade for Marlon Mack or Rex Burkhead and get him back from Houston, like Rex Burkhead can just stay on the, t- on the Patriots sideline and come on the team, play him home next weekend if they want him to. Right. So if that's the option, then maybe that's the way that they go about it. From a schematic standpoint, this is the issue that you have when you're an under center running team without a rushing quarterback. And I'm not getting into whether they should have kept Cam or not. It's That's not the point. The point is from a stylistic perspective, running the football as a 11 guys or 10 guys on 11, right? 10 for the offense, 11 on the defense because you're not counting the quarterback is very, very difficult unless you have a dominant run blocking unit. You need to be dominant with your run blocking. And right now, it's not just the offensive line, I would say. The tight ends and the receivers are not blocking particularly well either. They tried to get out on the edge against uh, the uh, Bucks a lot, and rightfully so, with Vita Van and Dominic and Sue and the linebackers inside. They kept on trying the tosses. They kept on trying to sweep it outside. And the bat and the tight ends and the receivers couldn't hold up in the run game as blockers. So it's not just the offensive line. It's all pretty much everybody that's run blocking right now is underperforming and not doing what they need to be doing hundred percent. So if you don't have a threat to run the football at quarterback and you're trying to run the football from under center with an offensive line and a group of blockers that's not getting the job done, then you're going to go and have a game where you have negative one rushing yards. That's a recipe for disaster. So their options are either ride it out and just hope that the blocking turns around at some point. Maybe they get Trent Brown back and he is the glue that holds the whole thing together and that recovers, or you try to run the ball from spread formations and get as many guys out of the box as you possibly can. So I'm leaning towards number two because we're four weeks into the season thinking Trent Brown's going to be a savior is maybe a little bit of a stretch. So what I would do if I was the Patriots is get the offense, uh, the defense spread out, try to run the ball against uh, lighter boxes, right? Try to get six guys in the box and run the football out of sub packages and be able to go up against nickel dime defensive packages, six dudes in the box and be able to block it up that way. I think they will be a lot more effective in that style of running game. Now, the the unfortunate part about it, and this is also goes back to the RPO package and how useful that would be too, but the unfortunate part about it is the best shotgun runner is James White, and James White's right. not here anymore. So, I mean, he's here, but you know what I'm saying. So, Damian Harris, I, I think he probably did it a little bit at Bama because they were starting to transition that offense to more shotgun when he was still there. So, my guess is that he's done it a little bit. Maybe they can see if he's somebody that can be a strength in that role, but they're kind of missing your typical sub package back now. And it's not Brandon Bolden, it's not Ramondre Stevenson. JJ Taylor, I have my doubts about as well. So, maybe that is where they need to get another person in here to take over that role so that they have that sub package back again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we could go through the list, but I, they're just, I, I know people want to see, especially Ramondre Stevenson back. I just, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't, I think, and, and look, if, 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 if they want to bring him back, bring him back. You can't, they can't just have Damian Harris and Brandon Bolden be their backs. 
They can't, right. Even if it's just Harris Bolden and then Stevenson or uh, Taylor, like you need four, you need four running backs. You do. So one way or the other, they probably need another back, but they, they need another heavily rotational back. Whether it's one of those young guys stepping up into a bigger role or them signing somebody, they need another back. Yeah. And uh, Mac Jones is a really good play action passer in college from the gun, not, not from under center. Right. He, he, they didn't really run any under center play action at Alabama. So this is an offense that needs to play in spread formations. And I keep on going back to that 2011 offense because McDaniels was here in 2011 and he's coached that type of offense before and he's called that type of play calling before. So that to me is really the way that this offense needs to go. Remember, I think the leading rusher on that team might have been Danny Woodhead. And the way that they were spreading the field and running the football, we could look that up, but he was definitely up there in terms of uh, leading the, that team in rushing. So, all right, uh, let's go over to the defense. It was, it was Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, but you said 2011. Uh, I, yeah. So it was Ben, was it Ben Jarvis Green Ellis in 2011? Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, then, then Ridley, then Woodhead. Okay. So Wood, Woodhead had a decent amount of. Brady did there. have 109 rushing yards that year. Wow. And three touchdowns. There you go. The Clydesdale. All right. Moving over to the defense. We could gush about Bill Belichick's game plan all we wanted. It was great. Simulated pressures, dropping guys off the line of scrimmage into short zones, closing off the middle of the field, forcing Brady to hold the ball. Brady hold, held the ball for 2.66 seconds on average, which for Brady is an eternity, right? This is a guy who usually gets it out in 2.3, 2.35. So to hold, force him to throw, uh, hold the ball for almost 2.7 seconds is a really, really impressive feat by the Patriots. A great game plan. But I want to talk about some of the individual players because I think the game plan has been talked about a lot. And, and you know, we could go into it, but it, but we've, we're kind of turning the page here, right? right. I want to start with the good. Um how about Matt Judon and, and his fit in this system? Just been a terrific addition, uh, basically doing everything that they wanted to do. Whether uh, he did blow an edge, so I shouldn't say really the run defense wasn't perfect. Uh, he got sucked in backside and allowed Leonard Fournette out on that one carry. But overall, just worth every penny. Yeah, worth, worth every penny they've paid him so far. Yeah, he's been excellent. He's been like, what did, uh, what did Donovan Mitchell say? The guy in the red sleeves came to play. And yeah. Shout, shout out to him for the red sleeves because he's a guy you want to spotlight. It makes him very easy to find. You don't really have to look that hard to find Matt Judon on the field. But yeah, yeah he's been dominant. I mean, he probably should have had three sacks in that game. Yeah. And they, yeah. they there could have been a couple more, whether it's holding, hands to the face, whatever you want to call it. Um, he he was a problem for Brady all night. And I think that mentality too, right? We heard him talk about it this week when everybody's asked, getting asked, Brady, Brady, Brady. And he oh, just yeah. kind of stopped and said, look, he's the next quarterback we got to play. I think that mentality is huge. I think this team needs that mentality. It's almost like, you know, it, it almost, and maybe this is just because I, I was watching four days in October this morning because of the game tonight, but um, kind of what that mentality was for the Red Sox when they got down uh, 03, you know, all right, like did, we can't feel sorry for ourselves. We just have to go out there and compete. And I think Matt Judon's kind of that, this whole, oh, the Patriot, the Patriots identity for the last year and a half has been that they don't have Tom Brady anymore. Yeah. And I think Matt Judon is the face of them moving on from that identity. I, so I think on the field, off the field, I think he's been, you know, it'd be hard to argue that there is a better move by the Patriots this offseason than signing Matt Judon. Yeah, he, he is a menace in the pass rush because he, he really likes to rip move. So he's going to get underneath the guy and rip him and then get around him. But he can rip to both directions, which is actually pretty rare. So most guys use a speed to rip, right? So they're going to come around the corner and then they're going to rip up on the tackle and, and bend underneath and turn the corner. Matt Judon actually beat uh, Donovan Smith with an inside rip, which is you don't usually see that as often. So... He can rush both ways, which I think makes it really difficult to block him because he can go inside or he can go outside. He can stunt. He can drop into coverage. There are just so many different things that maybe he can do on any given play that makes him a really difficult guy to defend. And he's definitely got some good play speed, good explosiveness. And it's just a really impressive player all around in Matt Judon. Another guy that's been really impressive is Jalen Mills, who – Got a lot of help on Chris Godwin. I, I should preface this before I say that it was basically a, a shutdown day for Jalen Mills on Godwin. Uh, they were dropping those guys into the middle of the field basically to cut off the routes by Godwin, right? He, he would come across in breakers, crossing routes, things like that, and they were able to cut those things off easily with those zone defenders. But he played... 
he executed it perfectly, right? He played yeah. to his leverage and to his help perfectly. And in this system, there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, yes, it wasn't like he was out there on an island with Chris Godwin all day and shut him down. But the fact that he understood his role in the game plan and executed as well as he did four weeks into the season of his first year on the team, that's a really impressive thing to do. Yeah, I, I mean, that's textbook classic Bill Belichick. We're going to put you out there. We're not going to ask you to do anything you can't do. We're just going to ask you to go out there and do what you do best, and we'll make it work within the scheme. And, I mean, Jay, that's not to take credit away from Jalen Mills. He did it. Like, he played great. But that's – when they signed Jalen Mills this offseason, that's kind of what you're hoping for. I'll get. Can I give one more name that's really popped here through four weeks? I thought I had a very good game on Sunday, but it's popped through four weeks. Sure. The Patriots' most impactful rookie, or actually, the Patriots' most impactful player from Alabama is Christian Barmore. That's he a has take. been what? That's a take. He, Evan, come on. He's, he's been so good. He's been good. Um, PFF been only so had him. With, PFF only had him with two pressures, which I was surprised about. It felt like a lot more than that. It felt like he was in the, in Brady's face all game. I think what they look at when it comes to pressures is beating your block, not necessarily just pushing the pocket and collapsing right, yeah. the pocket. Barmore definitely, definitely does. Yeah. Barmore got Ollie Marpet, Alex Kappa. Those guys were getting walked back into Brady a lot in that game. And that was all Christian Barmore. And, and he's I been love- doing that all year. He was doing it against yeah. the Saints. He was doing like, he can freaking play. He yeah. can freaking play. He is, I think he's going to be a special player. I really do. I, yeah. I, if you can't tell, I am very excited about what Christian Barmore has shown through the first four weeks. And I think Patriots fans should be ecstatic. That I know some people are like hesitant when they trade up to get him. Uh, you shouldn't be, you, you know, they made the right move. It looks like he, 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 he can play. Yeah. And you also look at with him, once he starts converting some of these pressures into sacks, then right. we're going to get even more love for Christian Barmore. So that's, yeah, that that's more what it's about. I mean, I, he, I'm not saying he doesn't look good. He looks really good. But like, if this is where he's starting and he we talked about him during the draft as like an all upside guy, like right. he had so much room to grow. So if this is where he's starting. Oh, oh, oh boy, this could yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah. And just talking about this defense and how it, really what what makes good pass defense. And it's very it's a simple thing. It's not like I'm you know, rewriting the, the, you know, the inventing the wheel here, marrying the pass rush with the coverage, right? Having both of those got things working together in tandem and having all 11 guys on a string is how you play good pass defense and good defense in general for the most part. But against the pass, being able to only rush three or four guys, but simulate the pressure and then drop off and play coverage on the back end for long enough for guys like Barmore and Judon to get home. They had that working in unison for four quarters. And it was, it was pretty right. You see them come up to the line of scrimmage. They put four or five guys on the line of scrimmage and then they back off and that allows them to get those one-on-one matchups. That's how Barmore was able to get some of his pressures and Judon, some of his pressures. So being able to do stuff like that was really, really impressive from this game. Just all three levels working together uh, really was something that I, uh, I love to see. All right. Can we talk about some of the, uh, um, I didn't mean to put, put that up. Can we talk some of the, um, the bad I don't want to call it the bad uh some of the things I'm concerned about all right let's put it to that way and it's in the linebacking court um first and foremost Jamie Collins here yet is Jamie Collins here yet uh (laughs) good point first and foremost how I guess with both players where is our panic level with Dante Hightower right now and is this rust is this he's washed uh what what's going on with him because he was out there for almost 60 snaps and was not very noticeable in this game. He had one hurry on a blitz. Uh, he had one stop against the run, but just not what we're used to from number 54. Just not. I'm probably not as worried as some people. I just think taking a year off, it's going to take time. And a lot of people have used the comparison. Rob Gronkowski last year, right? He retired. And then when he came back, he didn't really get rolling until November. So, yeah, you know, it's concerning. If he's not going to play at a high level, I think you do need to sort of supplement that defensively, whether it's, you know, more snaps for Josh Uche, whether it's signing uh, Jamie Collins or somebody else. You know, Therese Hall is eligible to come back in a couple weeks off, off PUP. So, 
they, they can go a number of different directions with it, but like I I think there's a real chance we see him kind of turn the corner and come back to the guy he really is once we get around Thanksgiving. I think it's just catching back up to the speed and the physicality of the game, and that's tough. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit concerned in the short term, but but I, I see people saying he's cooked, he needs to retire, he's done. Like I'm not ready to go that far yet. Oh yeah, no, me neither. Only uh, a month into the season after sitting it out, you can't you can't go there yet. I think the one thing that I noticed with Hightower right now is what I hope is going to be. Uh, we're going to talk about this later in the year and, and, ha- and have this be the reason what that this was all going on was maybe just a little bit slow to process against the run a little bit. And because he's a little bit slow to process, he's, you know, Hightower is the type of guy against the run. He wants to press blocks, right? He's, he's, going head on right he's not trying to slip guys he's not trying to use speed to beat guys to the spot he when he sees a puller and he's fitting that hole and he's got the puller coming at him he's full force right into the blocker and right now you're just seeing him get basically very easily blocked on those instances and that's just not Dante Hightower so he's getting into that position He's going to press the block, and instead of getting the block pressed, instead of getting the guy off of him and being able to then make the stop, the guys are blocking him. You know, he, he's getting blocked. And that is something that you're not 100% used to seeing with Dante Hightower, obviously. So I hope that it's mostly a processing thing where he's just not getting there fast enough to really close up the hole and be able to press it and then shed. If you're not getting there fast enough for that style of play, you're just going to get eclipsed, right? You're just going to get blocked out. So hopefully that that's a processing issue. I'm willing to continue to allow Dante Hightower to ease back into this and hopefully figure it out by the end of the year. The other linebacker I wanted to mention, though, is Kyle Van Noy. And I'm hesitant to to, to be mean to Kyle Van Noy, but... but the tape that I've seen from Kyle Van Noy in the first month of the season is some of the, the laziest tape I've seen from a Patriot player in a long time. And it just out of position, just kind of not doing anything on a lot of plays, right. Where he's just kind of caught. Am I rushing? Am I dropping? Just kind of hanging out in space for no reason. Uh, He had a couple of times to get to Brady. Uh, He had Brady dead to rights a few times in the pocket and he's, lunging and throwing his shoulder at him instead of wrapping him up and getting him down. Just really odd uh, from Kyle Van Noy, who is not the player that he was in 2019 for the Patriots last year for Miami, but he wasn't like this, right? He was a much better player last year for the Dolphins than what he's shown so far. And he just looks like a guy that's sort of going through the motions. And I'm not sure if benching, Kyle Van Noy is the right way to motivate him. He doesn't seem like the type of guy that would respond too well to being benched. But at this point, you're definitely starting to wonder if Josh Uche and Chase Winovich would give them more than what Kyle Van Noy has. Even if they're not playing as well against the run as what maybe the Patriots would like, just their effort on the field is so much better than what Van Noy is giving right now. Yeah, I just go back to the the third down run by Brady where Van Noy has a chance to grab him and kind of pull him back and almost pushes him forward towards the first down. And that's just not, yeah. you know, that's not an ideal play. So you want to see him turn around because we know what he can be when he's on. He'd be a very good player when he's on. He just hasn't been that through four weeks. Yeah, maybe he's maybe he's dealing with something on the field, off the field injury. Well, we know he, has the groin. He, has, he was on the injury report with the groin. Right, injury. so maybe it was the groin. But he just looks like a guy that, like I said, is is kind of just going through the motions right now. And there's way too many plays on tape where Kyle Van Noy is just kind of doing nothing, right? I mean, he's just kind of standing there. And, and you're just wondering, like, that's not that's not Kyle Van Noy. That's, that's not the guy that we're used to seeing. That's not the player that we're used to seeing. He's usually somebody that plays with good play speed, good aggression, good effort. Uh, and, and we're just not seeing it right now from him. So those two linebackers kind of stood out as players that, maybe you're not playing as well as the Patriots would like, but overall really good performance from the defense. Alex, uh, moving on to Houston, this game, it feels like when Alabama schedules like Chattanooga or something like that early on in the season, this is way more about the Patriots getting right. And the Patriots, you know, continuing this momentum from the game against Tampa Bay and beating up on Houston and putting together some good stuff. 
Yeah, I you know fourth preseason game here in in mid October. That's pretty unusual, but yeah, I you know I think it, the Patriots do have a real path to get to three to three. I yeah. think they can beat the Cowboys. I don't necessarily know that on paper they're a better team than the Cowboys, but I think some of their strengths match up well against Dallas's weaknesses. Um, this to me is like I when when we did the schedule previews at the beginning of the season, this was the trap game of the year to me because it's after the Brady game. That Dallas game is big. It's also only it's it's the only road game in a span of five weeks because they were home home right Saints and and Bucks. They now go on the road and then they're home home again, coming back from that against the Cowboys and then I believe it's the Jets right. Yeah, in week uh, week seven. So I I I think this is a good chance, like you said, get right, figure things out, kind of prepare for the Cowboys, figure out what you want to do for the Cowboys and try to get some of that working. Cause this, this Texans team, and I know they have a win, which they shouldn't have, but again, urban Meyer is a mess. Uh, this Houston team roster wise is one of the worst NFL teams I've seen in my time covering, yeah. covering and watching the league. Like it's pretty bad. It's, it's so, obviously without Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, I'm not including Deshaun Watson in this. That's a pretty bad team. Patriots have a chance yeah. here to get some things right and really be rolling when you're heading into Dallas. So the only explanation for the Texans uh, allowing Davis Mills to start for them at quarterback is that they want to lose. That's, that's the only, that's the only explanation because tanking. Yeah. They're clearly tanking and maybe they're, I don't know what they're taking for because if they're going to need a quarterback, then if you're taking for uh, what Sam Howell or whoever, yeah, this ain't the year. Like, right. This, like this what, is what are not we the year to need a quarterback? So it's not like they're, they're tanking to get the number one pick and it's Andrew Luck. Right. You know, it, right. It, that's, that, that's not what's happening here. So the, the thing that's even more perplexing, unless they know entire, what Tyra, what is Tyrod's injury? Because I, something weird. I, I, he's on IR, so he's not going to play. Right. So David Culley, his background is in Baltimore, right? So he's right. he's from Baltimore. Injury, by the way. Okay, so he's from Baltimore, I believe, on the offensive side of the ball for the Ravens as well. Um, and there's Cam Newton just sitting at home. Like, if you actually cared about winning football games, then Cam Newton would be the starting quarterback of the Houston Texans right now, no doubt about it. Because Coley is a yeah. guy that's coming from Baltimore. Coach Lamar Jackson understands how to run that kind of offense, all those types of things. So the only explanation is that the Texans are tanking. And if the Patriots are in a game with a team that is tanking, then that is bad news bears. I mean, right? it, I mean, that's it would really be the second year in a row. It would be the second. Cause remember they yeah. were in that game with the Jets last year. They, well, they, the, the te- they lost the Texans last year. The Patriots, but the tech, but they had Deshaun Watson. True. Sure. I'm saying it would be the second year in a row. The Texans are this year what the Jets were last year and what the Jets are this year. But um, just a really bad football team. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. And, I mean, I look, I think there's some special players in this draft. And, I, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with these guys. You're going to love the top two players in this draft. Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, and I, I, there's some, you know, he's the consensus one. I don't think there's a consensus two. For me, it's Derek Stingley, uh, the corner from LSU. Oh, well, you don't take for a corner. Like I'm not saying I'm that. Not, no, I'm not saying you do. So, so here's the top four. Thibodeau's the one, and right. he, he's one one, and I think he's a really special player. Then it's Evan Neal, who's a tackle at Alabama. Derek yeah. Stingley, a corner from LSU, and Kyle Hamilton's a safety at Notre Dame, but he could kind of be, you know, he's kind of that Isaiah Simmons. He, he yeah, might not, he might be a linebacker in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you're you're gonna love Stingley, and you're gonna love Thibodeau, by the way, when you watch him. But yeah, not the year. I mean, I think I I think that. Rattler is still the consensus number one quarterback. Don't yeah. agree with that. Then you have Malik Willis, who I are uh, not Malik Willis. Malik, um, yeah, it is Willis. Malik Willis, the Miami yeah. transfer who's at Liberty, yeah. who you know is a good player, but he's not. You know, he's a guy that probably needs to sit for a little bit. Um, yeah. And I mean, then you get into Matt Corral, who's right, yeah. year, but I think it's more Malik. Of a yeah, Malik Willis is a uh, Trey Lance ish. Right. right, exactly. Yeah. And then you get yeah. into Matt Corral, who I think is more of a, a, no. a product of that offense. I, I um, saw enough of Matt Sam Corral Howell. against Alabama to know that yeah. that's not it. Sam yeah. Howell sucks. Like, he's just not yeah. good. We should all be yeah. insulting. He was ever considered a 1-1. Like, maybe Dracova comes out this year. Yeah. But even still, you're not taking him 1-1. So, like, I don't know what – you talk about being a team with no direction. We talked last year at times out of the Patriots. Yeah. Like, a team with no direction. 
Houston really has no direction because they're not going to get their their quarterback. They're, they they no. can get all the they can get all the 2022 draft picks they want. There's a lot of good like depth guys like the guys you were obsessed with last year, like the Kellen Mons, right? There's a yeah. lot of those guys in this draft. There's no upside in this draft. But they also they already have that. They have Davis Mills. Davis Mills is the mid round flyer. There's, right? There's, there's, a, right. there's a million Davis Mills in this draft. Yeah, like so they already have the, they already have that in Davis Mills. The only move for Houston coming up is if they can use Deshaun Watson, who's not going to play another down for the Texans in his career, assuming everything clears off the books uh, in terms of off the field with Deshaun uh, with Deshaun Watson. Net, if you can flip Deshaun Watson and part of that trade is for a young quarterback like Miami with Tua, right? You know, and, and you pull off that deal. I'm not 100% sold on Tua, but at least that's a, a, a direction for Houston, right. right? At least they have a developmental quarterback to work with that has some upside. But yeah, the Patriots. Uh, and by the way, shout out to the people joining the show late who think we're having this discussion in the context of the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots, uh, Buffalo beat Houston 40 to nothing. Blew the doors off of him. Uh, Davis Mills, I think, threw four picks in the game. And the Patriots should – this game, at the very least, should look like the Week 2 game against the Jets, right, where where they pick off Davis Mills three or four times and they win the game with defense and they come out of the game with with an easy victory. That's at the very, very least. If the Patriots are in a game with this Texans team and Davis Mills, then we have some serious, serious issues. And I would actually point in that case – and we can talk about this on Thursday as more of a motivation thing than actually anything to do with the Patriots because their defense should absolutely dominate this matchup. If the defense that yeah. played on Sunday night plays again next Sunday against Houston, this should be a fun party down in Houston. They, they should oh, yeah. have four picks. They should have a pick six. They should have 10 sacks. Like this should be an absolute uh, beat down of the Texans, as, even if their defense just shows up. Right. It doesn't even, right. the offense doesn't even need to show up. Even if just Matt Judon and, and those guys show up defensively, uh, they're, they're going to have no problem beating the Texans. So Alex and I will be back on Thursday. We're going to talk about Thursday the match Friday. Friday. Yeah. I keep saying yeah. Thursday. Uh, Friday. We're going to be back on Friday morning to break down Pat's Texans, obviously very heavily slanted towards the Patriots continuing to progress and improve, but we're going to figure that out uh, on Thursday. And yes, the Texans are that bad. Like don't, don't try to come in here and tell me that they're, that they're not that bad. They are that bad. The only way they could be worse is if they hired Urban Meyer. So we'll break down Patriots Texans on Friday morning. You can catch it here on our Patriots Press Pass YouTube channel on Friday or Saturday before the game. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.